The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Welcome to the Inn. Excited that you guys are here. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Janie. Um, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet, I'm one of the people who has the privilege of working here at UMIN. Um, so the question, what did you think was cool in eighth grade, is, is kind of a question to help us kind of think about when do you first start noticing what is in, right? It's usually junior high, middle school, when you notice what's cool, what's not, who's in, who's out. I mean, it might happen a little bit before that, like elementary school, but basically everybody's just making mud pies together before you get into junior high. But then you notice that there are insiders and there are outsiders. That's definitely what when it was for me. It was middle school when I discovered that, that I wanted to be in. I wanted to have the right clothes. I wanted to have the right hair. I have a picture to show you how cool I was, actually. Yeah. It was the late 80s, uh, early 90s. This is my hair, like my hair is this straight. That was a spiral perm. Um, I was so in, and my, and my, you know, my brooch in the center of my shirt shows you how cool I was. That was really important. Okay, you can take that picture off now. Um, also, it was important to listen to the right music. When I was in middle school, it was NKOTB, New Kids on the Block. Yes. All the insiders were seeing NKOTB at the Puyallup Fair. Although I was so cool that I read Sassy Magazine and Johnny Depp was a favorite of Sassy and also REM. I listened to REM. Um, so that shows you that I was kind of on the alternative side of what was in. That explains like my brooch in the center of my shirt. New wave. Um, but then you notice another thing that's important about being in and that is when you go to your first middle school dance. Right? That's when you, you go to the first middle school dance and you see people doing all these dance moves. I remember walking into my first one in seventh grade and Technotronic was playing Pump Up the Jam and <laughs> Troy Burgoyne was doing the Running Man and I thought it was awesome. That was his signature dance move. Do you guys know what the Running Man looks like? Church, why don't you come up here and show us, show us your Running Man? Yeah. Just like that. But that's actually, yeah. The Cabbage Patch, that was another big one in the late 80s. Actually, Ryan's signature dance move that he does, uh, I've seen it several times at weddings and, and not and whatnot, is the pencil sharpener. Why don't you show him the... Yeah. So, I found my signature dance move in seventh grade. It's a little less known. Than the, than the running man, and that's the Roger Rabbit. Do you guys know the Roger Rabbit? All right, well, I'll show it to you. The great part of it is that it looks just as cool from the side and the back as it does from the front, so don't worry about it. But this, here's the Roger Rabbit. Um, the problem was in seventh grade that I, it would go backwards. So, like, the whole dance, I'd just be, like, going backwards around the dance floor. Like, I never went forwards. I was always backwards. Check it out. So, figuring out what's in and what's out, 
who belongs and who doesn't belong, that becomes pretty important from about the time we're 12 years old on. And if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been going through a series at the end about belonging. I belong. And we're journeying through the book of Luke and the ways in which Jesus brings people to himself, brings people to belong to him. Last week, Ryan got us started by looking at Luke chapter 5, and that was when um, Jesus calls the first disciples to himself. They're fishermen, and Jesus says to Simon and James and John, come and follow me. Come and fish for people. And they belonged to Jesus. Now, Ryan pointed out that Luke, this book that we're writing, or reading, um, the person who wrote it, his name was Luke, and... He was not Jewish, like a lot of the followers of Jesus. He was a Gentile, which is what you would call someone who's not a Jew, as as a Gentile. So throughout the gospel, Luke makes the point of letting us know who's in and who's out. And I would imagine he probably experienced some people telling him that he wasn't included because he was a Gentile. So... um, Not to say that, you know, this was necessarily a bad thing. It was probably well-meaning people who were trying to guard the holiness of God's people. But they probably told him, you can't be in if you're a Gentile. So you had to be to be born into following Jesus. Well, tonight we're going to continue on this journey in the book of Luke. And we're going to look at I belong as we do. Um, But before we do that, just I want to stop a minute and pray for our time tonight. Gracious God, um, we are so grateful that you are here with us. We are so grateful that we are your people and that we belong to you. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Okay, before we actually jump into scripture, I want to give you a little bit of historical context. It's important to know what is going on before we actually read um, in Luke chapter 7. So at the time Jesus was born, the nation of Israel, the Israelite people, the Jewish people, they were a part of the Roman Empire. They had been conquered by Rome. So this is the Roman Empire, and you can see over here in the purple, it's red and purple, I don't know why. But the the part where Israel, modern-day Israel, um, that was a part of the Roman Empire. And so there were Roman officials all throughout Israel that were kind of in charge of everything. And they were considered by all of the Jewish people... As outsiders. These guys were outside invaders who had come into their land. And they can, they thought of them as the others, if you will, if you're a fan of Lost. May it rest in peace. But um, that was the environment that Jesus came into. The Romans were outsiders. The Jewish people isolated themselves even more because they wanted to maintain the integrity that they had as a community. So they wanted to keep their culture pure and keep the Romans out. There were, this was a culture, a classic example of a culture that considered some people are in and some people are out. So what's already happened in the book of Luke is that uh, Jesus has chosen his disciples. He's healed a couple of people. He's given a message, which is called like the Sermon on the Plain, which is really similar to the Sermon on the Mount. Basically, Jesus telling everybody, this is what it looks like to follow me, to not judge others and to love others. So that's what's happened so far. But word about Jesus has started to trickle through the land of Israel. People are starting to hear about this this guy. Um, So that's what's happened so far as we um, look at Luke chapter 7, um, starting at verse 1. 
When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. So a centurion is a Roman official, and he was probably in charge of a certain part of the military, and centurion means he was probably in charge of a 100 men. And he was probably the guy in charge of this city of Capernaum. So the centurion's servant is sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. For I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So there is not a wasted word in the Gospel of Luke. He's very, very intentional in what he what he writes and the words that he chooses to describe something that's happened. So it's, it's important for us as we look at this to be like, okay, what is Luke trying to communicate? Instead of just jumping to, okay, what does this tell me about my life in 2011? Not that scripture can't inform our lives, but what is it that Luke is trying to communicate with this story? First thing I notice is that Jesus and the centurion never actually meet face to face in this whole encounter. First, the, the centurion sends some Jewish elders out to talk to Jesus. And my guess is the centurion wanted, didn't want, um, he didn't want to be intimidating, so he sent out some of Jesus' own people to talk to Jesus. So he's non-threatening. And I was uh, reading this with the in-speaking team, and um, Taylor Dunlap noticed something. What he noticed was the word deserve, and I thought this was really insightful. The word deserve is used twice. The first time the word deserve is used, it says um, the, Jew, the Jewish people came out to say to Jesus, you should heal this guy's servant because he deserves to have it, to have him healed. He's a good guy. He built our synagogue. He deserves it. So Jesus goes with him, and the centurion has some second thoughts because he decides he's unworthy of Jesus' presence. So he sends out some of his friends and say, wait, Jesus, never mind. Don't bother. I actually don't deserve to have you come into my house because you have the power of God to heal. Luke wants us to notice the centurion knows that Jesus has the power of God. He says in verse 7, Say the word and my servant will be healed. So Jesus is really impressed by the centurion. And he heals the servant. Now the Jewish leader said, You should heal this guy's servant because he deserves it. He's a good man. But that is not why Jesus heals the servant. Not because he's worthy or deserving. He heals the servant because of the centurion's great faith. He has great faith. Now let me remind you, this guy is an outsider. 
he has just heard about this guy, Jesus, right? This radical Jewish carpenter who's kind of doing some crazy stuff. This guy is not supposed to have faith like this. Jesus mentions this man has faith greater than anyone in this nation of Israel. And these people are, these are his peeps, right? These are Jesus's people. And this centurion, this outsider who's never even met Jesus, has more faith than many of the people who were interacting with Jesus every day. Now, you need to understand one thing. The expectation of the Messiah for thousands of years, the nation of Israel, they had expectations for this Messiah that was going to come in and what he was going to do. First and foremost, he was going to destroy Rome. He was going to get rid of all of the outsiders. And then what does he do? Jesus expanded the definition of who could be included to these Roman conquerors. I mean, that is completely the opposite of what they expected. What was that about? He's expanding the kingdom of God to anybody with faith? That doesn't make sense. That is not the way the world works. There are people who are inside and there are people who are outside. There needs to be a boundary line. There needs to be a list of rules and regulations. We should even set up a velvet rope. They can stand in line and maybe we'll decide if we want to let them in, but I don't know if they're on the list. Insiders and outsiders. That is the way this world works, right? That is the, that is the way the world in America works. Some people are in, some people are out. The people who are out are desperately trying to figure out how to get in, and the people who are in, well, it's pretty awesome being on the inside, but they're just making sure that other people can't get in. Other people can't belong. Because what makes things in our society really attractive? When they're exclusive. That's what is most attractive. The VIP culture that we live in, the exclusive things are the things that we want. There's plenty of examples of this in our culture. One person who comes to mind immediately for me when it comes to wanting to be in is Andy Bernard. I don't know if you guys are fans of The Office, but Andy Bernard is someone who is on the outside and he desperately wants to be on the inside. So I actually have a clip to show you guys of Andy and his desire to be included. (laughs) Uh, Party planning committee is my backup. Kevin's band is my safety. The thing I love most, that's most most endearing about the Nard Dog is how desperately he wants to be in. No one wants to be on the outside. Because being in is the greatest place to be. I mean, your life as a college student is basically defined by getting in, right? What college did you get into? Did you get into your major? Did you get into the Greek house that you hoped to get into? My guess is you don't have to think back very far to a time when you have felt excluded on the outside, when you desperately wanted to belong. Heck, it might have even happened earlier today. And you probably don't want to repeat what that experience is like, being on the outside. Exclusivity is the way the world works. But Jesus says, no. Jesus turns that upside down. He invites the outsider in. With this story of the centurion, he demonstrates that not only is the outsider invited in, the outsider belongs 
The Gospels are full of stories of Jesus inviting in the outsider, the unwanted, the unacceptable, and saying, you belong. The centurion is not a part of the kingdom of God because he deserves it, or because he was born into the right family, or because he does and says all the right things. He belongs because he had faith in Jesus that he had the power to heal. If we're picking up what Luke is putting down, Jesus Christ is not exclusive. The kingdom of God is the most inclusive group in the world. So who belongs? What does this story from Luke tell us about who belongs to the kingdom of God? So here's our question. Who belongs? The first The first assumption that's made is that the ones who belong are the ones who deserve it. The people who are good enough, smart enough, people like them. So that leaves on the outside people who aren't good enough. My guess guess is there's probably some of you here tonight who think, I do not deserve to belong to Jesus. If people knew my past, my behaviors, my habits, my thoughts, my failures... I'm afraid to even think about it because I'm going to be left on the outside. But here's the thing. You will find good company inside the kingdom of God. It's when we belong to Jesus, when we are inside the kingdom of God, that our sinful habits begin to be transformed. When the things that we have the hardest time with begin to be changed in our lives. And everybody else is just like you. No one is deserving But you are accepted. The only one who is excluding you from Jesus is you. Now, just like there's a lot of people who think they don't belong because they're not good enough, there are also people who think, I assume I do deserve it. Many of the people in Israel at the time of Jesus thought, you can see from my actions, I am holy, I am good, I am righteous, I belong to the kingdom of God. Maybe that's some of you in this room. You're busting your butt to make sure you are worthy of belonging to God. That you deserve to be on the inside. That's how I saw myself. I've been a Christian for a long time. And there was a really long period where I saw myself as one of these holy McCullersons, right? I'm on the inside, and I desperately did everything I could to make sure that I deserved to belong to God. And I looked at everybody else around me and wanted to make sure I was more worthy than they were. It was why I did nearly everything I did. I just wanted Jesus to like me. So I worked really hard at it. It was all external. It was everything I did on the outside. It was It wasn't until much later when I realized that I just needed to admit I needed Jesus. I had to admit I don't deserve to belong. That I needed Jesus to heal me in my brokenness. And then I was changed internally. Right, That is the difference. I was changed because of my faith that Jesus could heal me. And then my obedience came out of relationship. Not out of obligation. Too often we forget about the faith part and we work as hard as we can to heal ourselves, to deserve it. But God's shaping of us, that happens over a lifetime. You don't have to be perfectly shaped before you actually are included in the kingdom of God. 
So who belongs to Jesus? Those who are born in. This is this idea of whether or not Gentiles like Luke or the centurion should be included in the community of God. We might not really appreciate that, but this was a huge deal to the people who were first following Jesus. Jesus was Jewish. Most of the disciples were Jewish. Most of the first people who followed Jesus were Jewish. So they talked about it for like the whole second half of the chapter of Acts. Who should be included? This was a huge deal. And Jesus shows in the story, just because you say that you're Jewish or you're born into a Jewish family does not mean that you are included. And just saying you're a Christian doesn't mean that you belong. It's easy to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I grew up going to church, and now I go to church sometimes now. But when it comes down to it, your real response to your faith is something more along the lines of, nah. You've got one foot in and one foot out. If you're in, get yourself in. Saying you're a Christian and having faith, those are two different things. Quit going halfway. Get both feet in and put them firmly on your relationship with God. Say that you belong and show that you belong in your life. And if you belong, it's not your job to keep people out. Right? Jesus coming, loving, and saving the world, it's not this disembodied, abstract thing that's far away. It is incarnate, flesh and blood. It is relational. It's personal. And we're not just tourists kind of watching Jesus do his thing. We are participating in what Jesus is doing. The centurion, we don't find out what happens the rest of the story. But I would imagine he has a really big influence on this city. They already appreciated him. I would imagine he's a tremendous influence on the people that he interacts with in Capernaum. And I would bet some of them come into the kingdom of God. Participate. Respond. Don't be passive. Let other people know they belong. So who belongs to Jesus? Those who have faith in the power of Jesus to heal. Those who admit they need Jesus. The centurion humbles himself. He humbles himself in front of a carpenter of this conquered people and says, I don't deserve for you to come to my house. He claims he's not deserving of the mighty power of Jesus, but he knows that Jesus can heal. And this story is just one example of Jesus inviting the unwanted, the unacceptable. Now, if Jesus was trying to form a perfectly righteous group of holy McCullersons, is this a very good way to do it? I don't know. If that's what Jesus is going for, he kind of sucked at it, right? Because he's taking all of these people who do not match those qualifications. What Jesus is demonstrating is no one belongs because they're good enough, because they're smart enough, because people like them. Everyone belongs because Jesus makes them worthy. Paul writes in Ephesians, It is through faith that you are saved. It's not of yourselves. It's not through works. It's a gift of God. God wants to be in relationship with us. He wants us to give, He wants to give us the gift of relationship to have the opportunity to heal us in every part of our lives. 
The only thing excluding you from Jesus is you. The only one who thinks that you are an outsider is you. If you have faith in Jesus, put both feet in. Because no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past looks like, no matter if you deserve it or not, you belong to Jesus. Gracious God, we desire to know you. We desire to belong to you. And it's only through acknowledging our need for you that we can know the power of your healing. The impact of your love in our lives that make us worthy, that make us deserving, that make us belong to you. Be with us now. In your only name, amen.